started this series last week um, called Upside Down Kingdom, and it, and it has this idea uh, that when Christ came, he, he took all of the sort of religious uh, uh, traditions and the rituals and, and how people talked and how they acted, and he turned it all upside down and began to teach them it's not about uh, obeying a ritual, it's not about following a tradition, but it's about a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And so we want to continue that idea of what it means to, to live in a world that's turned upside down, to live a lifestyle that's different. Uh, than you typically hear about. And so to do that, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount between now and, and Christmas time. And beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there are what we call the Beatitudes. We started this last week with, with the Beatitudes, but just as a reminder, the Beatitudes basically, uh, the word Beatitudes comes from the Latin, and, and it means uh, to blessedness the idea of blessedness. And we all love this idea of being blessed. You know, you, you watch a sporting event uh, occasionally or like every time one's on um, and, and you know, the, in, invariably they'll interview an athlete and the athlete will say, I'm just blessed to be here. You know, and I'm always thinking, yeah, you're blessed to be 6'6 six, six and 300 pounds. That's what you're blessed to be, pal. But he says, I'm just blessed to be here. And, you know, and the whole idea of blessed is okay if it's a deflection of, you know, you taking the credit for something and saying, no, I, you know, I'm not taking the credit for this, but I'm, I've been blessed by God to be able to do this. And, and so we carry this idea uh, of blessedness. And Jesus comes along and he asks us this question. Do you really want to know what it means to live a blessed life. Do you, do you really want to know what it means to live that kind of life, a life that's blessed? Because we all have this ache on the inside of us to, to live life to the fullest, to have everything that we can possibly get, that what's out there, what do we need in our lives? And, and we want to live a blessed life. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you how to live the kind of life that you've dreamed about, to live the kind of life that in the, on the deep on the inside that you've always ached for, but you're not sure uh, how to get it. And, and so he begins with the Beatitudes. He begins with teaching us what it means to live a blessed life. And we're going to finish up the Beatitudes hopefully this morning. And I want to read them to you, though, as a, a reminder of what the Beatitudes are. Remember the scene. Jesus goes up on a mountainside. He's got a crowd of people around him, but he sits, uh, as rabbis do when they're ready to teach, he sits down and, and his disciples, uh, they sit around him, ready to listen to everything he says, but there's also a huge crowd of people that, that comes around, and, and so as he's teaching his disciples, there are all these other people that are listening at the same time, people that are there because they're curious, people are there because they, they need what Jesus offers, they, they need healing in their lives, they need help, they need something, and so they are gathered around Jesus, and he begins to teach them, and this is what he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after, uh, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes. Now, Jesus starts this, and he wants us to understand that there's a progression in, in this passage, and he begins it with this idea of blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the same Greek word is used in, in Luke, the 16th chapter, talking about a man named Lazarus who was a beggar. And it's the same word that's used here, referring to poor in spirit. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you who recognize that without Christ, you're beggars. Without Christ, you are spiritual beggars, that you are hopeless, that you have nothing, that you are completely empty, that you're completely lost without Christ. That's when you're beginning to get it. That's when you're beginning to understand. Blessed are you when you reach that point where you recognize the fact that without Christ, you're utterly spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing. Start there. And then he says, blessed are you when you, when you mourn that condition. That, that you recognize that it's because of your own sin, it's because of uh, it, because your own condition, and, and, and you begin to realize, God, what do I do? God, help me. And, and then he says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who recognize their poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And he says, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He says, blessed are you now. When you get to that point, you're easily led. You're easily guided. This idea of meekness isn't weakness, but it's strength under control. It's to be easily, it's one who is easily led by God, that God says, now, now we've got something. Now I can take you to that place that you need to go. Now I can do something special in your life. So he says, blessed are the meek, and then he follows it up with those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness. You'll be satisfied. He said, you really want satisfaction? You really want to know what it means to be satisfied in your life? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after the things of God, that when we recognize that we're empty without him, we just want all of him. We want to be filled up with him. We want him to satisfy us. We recognize that all of those other things that we go after in life, they never really satisfy. They never really finish. They never really complete us in the way that we thought they might. And he says, if you want real satisfaction, hunger and thirst after me, come after me. So he gave us those things and and then he follows it but he says, if you've recognized your poor in spirit, if you've, if you've mourned that condition, if you've allowed me then to lead you, and you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, he says, then, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He's saying, and this is in essence, Jesus says, when we recognize God's mercy in our lives, then we naturally become merciful people. We naturally become people who give mercy. It's not until we recognize the fact that God has been so merciful to us. God has forgiven us. God has blessed us. God has filled us. God desires for us to be satisfied. It's not, when we, it's not until we recognize God's mercy in our lives that we then become merciful people. There's a contrast. I, I read a great little story last week of um, uh, Prince Felix of Schwarzenberg. There's a great picture of the prince up there, quite the dashing character. And in 1848, he was a diplomat. He was a, an emissary in, in uh, his country's native country of Austria. And there was a revolt in Austria. And in 1849, they, they crushed the revolt. And there were some people that came to Prince Felix and they said, uh, they encouraged him to have mercy on the, rebel, uh, the rebels. And Prince Felix famously said, 
Of course. But first, a little hanging. That was his response. Uh, Have mercy on those rebels. Of course. But first, a little hanging. And, And that's the way most of us are. Yeah, we'll have mercy, but first, we want a little payback. First, we want a little bit of getting even. First, we want to make sure people get what they're due. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't treat you that way. I didn't give what you what you were due. I gave you mercy. And I expect you to live out that mercy. Kirsten mentioned when she was doing the announcements that we, uh, uh, part of our mission statement here at North is that we want to love God with our, uh, we want to love God, love one another, and love the world. And part of how we show mercy in loving the world, we do our North Cares projects. We, we go to the homes of elderly who can't keep up their yard and we do makeovers in their yard because uh, we want to go in the name of Jesus. We just simply want to live out this idea of blessed are the merciful. Uh, we get involved in, in ministries and um, in India, helping with sports camps, or we have uh, AT and Crystal Holder in Ecuador uh, building a home right now for teenage young young girls who have been uh, been taken out of sex trafficking in that country and and given a chance to have a Christian education to live in a safe place. Uh, we try to show mercy because Christ has shown us mercy. One of the other things that we're involved with it, I'm very grateful for, is uh, the Simbeti Orphanage in Tanzania and it's uh, come to us through uh, Catherine and Stephen Plum and they started an organization called Ubia. So Catherine, would you come on up please? And I've asked Catherine to, she spent the whole summer there at this orphanage uh, in Tanzania. Most of the kids in this orphanage are there because of the HIV uh, demolition of Africa that that they estimate at some point they lost 25% of the adult population and all of these kids are left out and then all the other things that go on. I'll make some space for you here. And uh, uh, so Catherine, would you just share with us uh, a little bit of your summer experience and and fill us in on what's going on in the Sembeti Orphanage? Okay, actually I have gone there every summer for about um, eight years now. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, but I've been very blessed to be able to go there. And we don't always get to see the uh, impact that our gifts, our offerings have on the lives of others. But I want to share with you um, how your letters of encouragement, your prayers, and your gifts are impacting lives in Tanzania. Because just like uh, Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he multiplied it to feed 5,000, God takes your gifts over there, and he multiplies it over and over again in the lives of the people of Tanzania. Now, as a church and also as individual sponsors, we have three areas in Tanzania that we sponsor. The first is the children's home, which is the orphans. The second is evangelism, and the third one is palliative care. And what I'd like to do is show you um, a couple of slides that just give you a little taste of the impact you're having on lives in Tanzania. This first one is of Anna. And Anna, at the age of five, her father's relatives tried to make her a human sacrifice three times. Her mother, like Moses's mother, had to give her up in order to make sure she was safe. But now she's at the children's home, she's safe, she's getting an education, and her mother's able to come visit her. This is Eustace. She came to us at the age of 13, very, very ill, HIV positive. Her siblings had rejected her. And now 
she is becoming a woman of God and learning what unconditional love truly means. Bahati lived across the road from the children's home. And at the age of nine, she was violated by her uncle and some of his drunken friends. But there was a sponsor there that stepped up and said, I'll help. So now Bahati is in a boarding school. She's safe, and she's receiving counseling for her trauma. But after Mercy, you're going to learn a little bit about the pure in heart. And I'm telling you, these kids are the pure in heart. Because when we give them money for food, and they go shopping, they come home and they set aside 10% of their groceries to give to the sick and needy. Every night while I was there, the boys took dinner down to this elderly man, he's about 90 years old, he's Babu, and um, spent some time with him. And when we sent extra money at Christmas for a Christmas dinner, they invited him up as their guest of honor, and they literally had to carry him up the road. And every time I would go there, Babu would say, come see me next year, come see me next year. But last year he said, I'll be in heaven next year when you come. And he passed two days before I got there. Mm. This little sweetie getting her hair done uh, for church is um, it's actually <laughs> Pastor Larry and Jenna's sponsored child, Cinerina. And she was also um, very ill when she was born. Her parents both died and relatives passed her around from home to home. And then she got a severe case of TB. And um, they just abandoned her. And so she came to us. And she's still very sick. Her lungs are very compromised. But I was so humbled one night because the kids decided, the older kids decided to fast. And they prayed for her all evening. All evening, the kids were praying for this little girl. Now, the second area is evangelism, and um, we sponsored a crusade, and I could show you lots of pictures of people coming to Christ, but I want to tell you about this man in the blue coat. It's a Maasai man, he's illiterate, but he came to know Christ, and he came back a week later, and he said, I want to serve Christ the rest of my life. So now he's working in the children's home in the farm, he helps with palliative care, and because he's Maasai, he's been able to help two new little boys, Maasai boys that came into the home, to integrate in the home and feel loved. Speaking of palliative care, which is the third area that we're going in, North Bible Church sent money to train 20 volunteers to go out in the community and visit the sick and elderly in their homes. And they walk, sometimes 30 minutes to a home through cornfields and banana patches and whatever else. Um, this is us trying to keep up with the uh, uh, palliative care workers and visiting Babu last year. But God just continues, continues to multiply those gifts. So last year, you see this little old woman, she's totally hunched over. I mean, she cannot even stand up. Her back is frozen in this position. Um, we visited her, and she accepted Christ. 105 Muslim women accepted Christ into her heart. And her family called us up the next day and just said, what did you tell our grandmother? Because she has been so happy and so peaceful. She passed about a month after that, and I'm sure the enemy was pretty ticked off that we snatched her out of his grip. <laughs> but I, I just can't wait to see her in heaven, standing tall and proud. This is a blind grandmother, and you see the little girl on her lap. Well, she can't afford to send this girl to school, and school isn't free in Africa. 
So we have a little preschool down on the property and we invited her down. And one of our sponsors gives $10 a month so that this little girl can have two square meals a day, which is probably all she gets. So this year we go to visit the grandmother and she was ready for Christ. She was ready to accept Christ, which was so wonderful. And her grandson was standing nearby and he said, can I do it too? We're like, heck yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she's blind, but in this picture, she looked up at me, looked straight at me and said, I'm looking at you, my angel, but this is God's work. It's not my work there. This building is a rundown building that we hope to use for palliative care. And in the coming year, we'll be raising funds to uh, remodel this building and make it into a hospice and palliative care clinic. But they don't wait for us. They've already started to provide this care. And so one day, an old man comes by and he sees that it says old people and he uh, actually volunteer goes up and brings them down and they come in and they're having devotions in the morning. He said, I have never heard such sweet words. He accepted Christ. Mm. So we don't even know now what impact he's going to have on the people around him. Um, in closing, I'd just like to share a little short video with you. Um, you may recognize the, sound, uh, uh, the song, It's How Great Thou Art. I get to wake up to this every morning when I'm over in Africa, the kids singing devotions. But I took a friend over there and she said, you know, my God's too small. Well, not in Africa. In Africa, God multiplies your gifts over and over again in ways that we could never even imagine. cheat and put a plug in here. Okay. Next year we hope to be taking a team to help do some of the remodeling of the palliative care clinic, um, to love on the kids, and then we hope to have some people at home that will um, help support us by maybe doing some sewing or some planning and some things like that. So uh, that's coming up in May of next year. Well, thank you. I'm pretty sure we need to make sure that that remodel's done too. Um, but uh, stay right there for a second. Let's give her a hand. Uh, can you picture this though these children who have been shown mercy they're helpless um, they, they don't have a chance unless somebody intercedes in their life and what do they do when they've been shown mercy uh, they find an old man who's helpless and they bring him food they carry him up to have a Christmas meal with them, that, that when we recognize the mercy that we've been shown, then we begin to be merciful people. And, and that's a beautiful picture of it. And so if we can just pause for a second, I wanna pray for Catherine and, and Steve and the, uh, and the Sembeti Orphanage and the work there. And Ubiya Ministries, yes. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these pictures. Thank you for Catherine's courage and passion. Thanks for Steve's heart uh, for these children and for the, uh, the ministry at the Sembeti Orphanage, for the Ubia ministries that they've started that uh, re reaching people in, in Tanzania, Lord. Uh, pray right now that you would give Catherine and Stephen strength, uh, Lord, that you would bless them in ways that surprise them uh, as they continue their work. I pray, Lord, 
for the children at the orphanage, for the staff, for the pastors there. Uh, Lord, that you would multiply uh, their work there. Uh, Lord, I pray for these children. I pray for health and protection. Uh, Lord, I pray that your presence would be so real in their hearts and their minds that that whatever damage has been done, Lord, that you would heal them, uh, that you would wrap your arms around them for us, Lord, uh, and be with them and bless them. Lord, thank you for this great reminder in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Catherine. Well, we have blessed are the merciful. We've got a great picture of what that looks like. And uh, the, the next thing that Jesus wants us to understand are blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this idea of pure uh, literally means to be unmixed. And it really makes sense if you think in the context of the Beatitudes because we we recognize that we're poor in spirit. Uh, We mourn that condition. God begins to lead us. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. When we begin to receive that from the Lord, then we are merciful people when we recognize that we've received mercy. And then he says, blessed are the, the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are unmixed because here's what happens in life, right? That we want to follow Christ, that, that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, but little things start to creep in. Little things start to get mixed in in our minds and, and mixed in in our hearts. And, and all of a sudden we get diverted. Our attention gets diverted. Something else gets uh, changed in our lives and we start to veer off a little bit maybe just a, a tiny bit, but before we know it, we're, we're way, way f- far from where we thought we needed to be or where we thought we were. And Jesus says that's why we need to be pure in heart. That's why we need to be focused, our attention on who we are in Christ. That's why we need to be constantly rem- reminded that without Christ, uh, we're poor in spirit, that we need to be led by him, that we need to be transformed by him. So often in our lives, we, we think that what we really need is more information, but what we really need is to recognize how desperately we need Jesus, our relationship with Christ, and, and what it means to be a follower of him. Um, our oldest son, Caleb, was always playing some kind of sport when he was a little kid. And uh, we'd put, you know, get him ready to go out. We'd put his tennis shoes on him. And the craziest thing, if, his, if the seam on his sock wasn't exactly straight across his toes, he could not wear those shoes. It would drive him crazy. And so we'd get him all ready. We'd think we're ready to go out and play. And he starts complaining that he can't wear his shoes that are killing his feet. And, and we'd, take his, we'd take his shoes off and we'd line that that little seam on his toes, we'd line it up just right, and then we'd try to get the shoes back on him without messing it up so he could go out and play. And it just bothered him. I thought it was so weird until I looked at this and I realized that's exactly how my life should be. That, that, that if, if something starts to creep into my life, if I start to get a little bit crooked someplace, if, if something starts to get mixed into my heart, it ought to bother me. I ought to notice it right away because I'm, I'm fixated. I'm, I'm focused on Jesus. I'm focused on hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. I, I want to be pure in heart. And when something starts to get mixed in there, it ought to get my attention. I, I ought to be reminded, oh man, something's not quite right. I need to, and then I need to fix it right now. I need, I need to get rid of this right now. Whatever it is, I can't let it, I, I, can't, I can't just assume I'll get over it. I, I can't just assume that it'll get better on its own, but, but I need to deal with it right now in my life. And Jesus is saying, that's what it means to be pure in heart, is that we begin to notice when things creep in. We begin to notice when the seams get out of whack. 
in our socks. We begin to notice when something starts that we have a thought in our mind that, that isn't what the Lord would have for us and, and, and it needs to bother us right away and then we need to do something about it immediately. Blessed are the pure in heart. And he says, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, that's kind of something we all look forward to, isn't it? We all look forward to that time that, that we see God and he says that the pure in heart will see me that the end result, uh, the last thing, the final step when we are focused on Jesus, that when we are pure in heart, the final thing is that we will see him. That finally we will stand face to face and we'll see Christ. And the Bible reminds us all the time that, that we will see him face to face. That we'll experience what it means to be in the presence of Christ. You know, I was with both my parents when they passed away, and, and uh, neither one of them were afraid. Neither one of them were, were worried. Neither one of them had, were anxious at those last moments because they knew exactly what was going to happen. They'd lived their whole lives preparing for that moment that they were going to see Jesus. And there was, there's this, almost this anticipation in their lives about what was next because they were confident that they were going to see Jesus because they had lived for him. They had served him their whole lives. And now it comes to the end, and now they get to see Jesus. That's a powerful, it's a powerful thought in my own life. And, and th- there's another piece to this, though, because sometimes we feel like, man, Lord, I just, I need some hope right now. And, and Psalm 27, 13 reminds us that, that I know, that I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That, that Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention uh, because, because you're gonna see me when you don't expect it. We have a, we have a little thing in our staff meetings that we, uh, every Monday we, we pause and we, we talk about, okay, where were the Jesus sightings last week? Where, where did you see Christ at work? Where did you see Jesus moving? And, and so we'll share things that happened during the week where we, we saw the Lord at work, that we saw things that God did in people's lives or, or he did through people or things like the somebody, you know, orphanage or, or uh, things that people did just out of the love of Christ and in their lives and showing mercy to others. And we'll talk about those places that we saw God at work. And I think the psalmist had this idea in mind that you know, not only will we see Jesus at the end, but we'll see him at work in our lives and in the lives of other people because he's called us to be pure in heart. He's called us to live that kind of life. Well, then the next beatitude is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children, they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, here's what he's not talking about. He's not talking about a peaceful person. Blessed is a peaceful person, right? For, for the, they should be called the children of God. But he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. You see, when we've gone through this, this sequence of things in our lives, and we've gone through growth in our relationship with Christ, and, and we've recognized our need, and we've followed him, and we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we become we become. Uh, people of, of, who are, uh, love him and show mercy. We become people who desire to be pure in heart and to strive for that. Then he says, here's what you do. Here's what happens in your life, that you take Jesus with you wherever you go. 
that you are peacemakers because you take the peace of Christ with you wherever you go. And, and so some, some scholars would say that this literally means bringing God's perspective to every situation. But, but what I, I think it really is trying to say to us is that we live at peace, the shalom of God in our lives. And wherever we go, we take that with us. And here's what Jesus said. And when we take that peace with us, here's what people see. They see people who resemble their father. He says, you'll be called the sons of God. You'll be called the children of God. That, that we become people who look like our father. There's a family resemblance. That when people see our lives, they begin to get an idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus looks like. Because there's a family resemblance. That we've started to take on some of the character and the attributes of Christ but it happens because we've recognized we're poor in spirit, that we've mourned it, that, that we've been directed by him, that we've followed that, that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we are become followers of Jesus in that way. And then he said, when we get to that point in our lives, that people are gonna look at us and say, there's a family resemblance here. You look like Christ. And, and you know, that's what Catherine was talking about at the Simbeti Orphanage, that people would see Jesus and they weren't always sure, they didn't always know exactly that it was Jesus. They were saying, they just knew they wanted that. Whatever it was that those people had, they, they wanted some of that in their lives. And, and they found out it was Jesus and they couldn't wait to embrace Christ in their lives because they'd seen what he, what he was like through other people. And, and I think Christ is calling us. He wants people to see what he's like through us, through our lives. Uh, that we sort of think being missionaries about, you know, going to Tanzania, it's awesome. Or we think about sharing, you know, uh, our faith is about going out and talking to people and here Jesus says, here's how it begins. It begins when you have a family resemblance to me. It begins when you start to look like Jesus. Well, now he finishes it uh, with this idea. <laughs> and we kind of, uh, we kind of surprised sometimes, I think, when this happens, but he says, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, really, the result of being a peacemaker is that you're likely going to be persecuted. Uh, and so he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember in verse 3, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he bookends this whole uh, the Beatitudes with this one in verse 10. Blessed are you who are persecuted, uh, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He's kind of starting to tie this all together. But I want you to pay attention to how he says it. He, he says, you know, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. He doesn't say, blessed are you when you're dumb and you get persecuted. Uh, blessed are you when you're obnoxious to people and you get persecuted. And you can just say, well, it's, you know, it's, I'm being persecuted. Thank God. No, he's saying, blessed are you who are, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, when you stand up for Christ, when you live for Christ. And because of that, people misunderstand you. You know, one of the interesting things today, uh, we have Christians, we have followers of Jesus who have been redeemed by the cross, who are cowering, who are afraid to say anything. Because if you say something, if you stand for something, you might be called a bigot. Uh, 
uh, or you might be called at the very least intolerant, and so we're afraid to say anything because we don't want people to say that about us. We, we don't want a little bit of persecution. We don't want to be sort of labeled that way, and, and so we tend to step back and, and, and kind of stay in the shadows, and Jesus is saying, no, if you live for me, if you're a follower of me, blessed are you. You should expect that to happen in your life. That's almost a given uh, that that's going to happen. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then what's really interesting about this is that, that it's, it, it, Jesus ends the Beatitudes with a heavy statement and, and one that would cause any listener to think, man, is, is this what I'm signing up for? I mean, really, this is your big conclusion, Jesus? This is how you're going to wrap up this part of it? You know, blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake, uh, for righteousness' sake. Uh, and then not only does he do that, but he, he doesn't just say it quickly and move on to the next topic, but he follows it up. It's the one that he expands on the most. He doesn't just simply say, uh, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But, but he, he continues uh, with it, and he says, blessed are you when others revile you and, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad, uh, for your reward is great in heaven. For so, th- for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, he says that I kind of like. He says, bless are you who are persecuted. Uh, rejoice because your reward is in heaven. That, that We don't keep score by what we get here. But we recognize that, that, that eventually someday we're going to be with Jesus and he writes all and he rewards all and Jesus takes care of that and that we know how the story ends, that, that we win because we belong to Jesus, that, that, that he wins, that he is ultimately triumphant and we'll be with him and, and that's how the story ends. But the other thing that he says that's kind of cool is he says, hey, blessed are you and persecuted because I put you in really good company, right? Because they persecuted the prophets, I mean, those guys were speaking for God and and they got persecuted. So persecution isn't such a bad thing necessarily if we're doing it for Christ, if we're living our lives out for Jesus because they persecuted the prophets. And frankly, Jesus, they, they persecuted him. They persecuted Christ, the, the one who is the epitome of love, the epitome of mercy, the epitome of grace. And, and they persecuted him. So Jesus is saying, listen, At the end of the day, we live our lives for Christ. And sometimes things happen in our lives. And and I know I've experienced in my life, sometimes there are things that have been said about me that that I I know that I just have to let it go. I'm not gonna try to... you know, go tell everybody that that was wrong. I'm not going to try to explain it that way to everybody. Uh, I'm not going to try to get into some, you know, huge controversial thing. I'm just going to, I'm just going to recognize the fact that people say things sometimes and you just have to let it go. Just have to trust the Lord for it and, and let it belong to him. But the key is, is it, for, is it for Christ's sake? Are we living our lives for righteousness' sake? Are our hearts focused on him? Are we checking the, the, the impurities in our lives and, and dealing with those things? And, and then we go into this idea when we're persecuted, we know that Christ is still in control. We know how the story ends. We know what he's promised us. I was reading last week about uh, the uh, Voice of Martyrs has its wonderful website, and they were talking about the church in Yemen, which you know isn't exactly a bastion of the church, 
right? Uh, the hotbed of Christianity. But uh, what they're talking about is that they have been in a civil war, uh, a brutal civil war for the last two years. And it says that many parts of Yemen have been shattered. Thousands have died and hundreds of thousands are in need of food, clean water, and medical care. Numerous homes, schools, and marketplaces have been left in ruins. And amid the chaos, the persecution of Christians continues. But these believers have hope. And it's, here's a quote from one of those Christians in Yemen. The Lord Almighty is the one who gives us strength and the ability to resist discouragement. And what they have done is they began to provide for those people who are in need. Uh, that the church in Yemen, the followers of Jesus in Yemen have been caring for those who are, need mercy, caring for those who are helpless, caring for those who, uh, who are hopeless. And the result has been pretty f- profound. It says that in Yemen, Christians face intense persecution from militant g- groups such as Al-Qaeda. Uh, they face persecution from their Muslim neighbors. In June of 2016, Muslims interrupted a small church gathering and beat up all of the men, sending many to the hospital. And despite this and other incidents, of persecution, one believer said these difficulties are encouraging believers to build the family altar, to allow themselves to be persecuted for Christ. And here's what happens. It says Christian workers from all around the country are reporting a growing spiritual openness in their communities. One worker uses his role as a village elder to openly share from the book of Genesis and explain all the way until the resurrection and the victory over death and the return to heaven. More Muslims are coming to Christ too. A local ministry leader said, every two or three days, we discover a new believer. And it's not because they have great buildings. It's not because they're having some huge crusade, but it's because people are following Jesus. People are showing mercy. People are allowing others to see what Jesus looks like in their lives. And the response of that is that others are coming to know the Savior. There's one last uh, story that I thought was really interesting. And this is C.S. Lewis. Everybody know who C.S. Lewis is? Yeah, he wrote a couple of books. Really smart uh, Oxford scholar. Uh, he, um, it says in 1933 when Lewis wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, his fellow academics belittled him for daring to write openly about something as personal as his faith. Or maybe they were annoyed because his book satirically attacked their philosophical beliefs. In 1947, Time Magazine did a cover story on Lewis, the reporter calling him a heretic among the academics for daring to believe in God. Lewis had been teaching at Oxford since 1925. As late as 1951, he was outvoted for Oxford's prestigious poetry chair by 194 votes to 173. His older brother said it was because of his faith. It was because he spoke up for Christ. It was because of what he believed in. Uh, On one occasion, after being warned uh, that his Christian writings would destroy his academic career, Lewis quoted General William Booth of the Salvation Army, who had famously proclaimed, if I could win one soul for God by playing the tambourine with my toes, I'd do it. Uh, Yet Lewis persevered even while being passed over again and again for advancement at Oxford. He was not given a full professorship. This is C.S. Lewis, by the way. He was not given a full professorship until he left that university for Cambridge in 1954, almost 30 years after his career began. Now, (laughs) think about this for just a second, all right? Because this is how God's, I think the Lord has a sense of humor but I personally can't name 
one other Oxford scholar from the 1930s and 40s and 50s, um, you know, a couple of you actually might be able to do that, but I personally can't do that. But I know C.S. Lewis. I think I've read everything he ever wrote. Uh, we quote him around here, uh, you know, and, and God used him in spite of the persecution that he faced and, and in spite of being passed over for a full professorship. And that's kind of embarrassing. Can you imagine passing over C.S. Lewis? Uh, but they did because he stood up for his faith. Uh, persecution happens but it happens when we stand up for Christ. It happens when we determine to live our lives for him. But he says, I'm going to bless you in ways that you can't imagine. I'm gonna do things with your life that you never dreamed possible. That's what it means to live a blessed life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would focus our hearts on what it means to be your follower. Focus our hearts on the fact that, that Lord, you loved us so much that you, you showed us mercy. That when we were still sinners, when we were beggars in our soul, in our heart, Lord, that you provided a way for us through Christ and, and that we have life because of you. And Lord, that we can serve you, that we can seek you, that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, Lord. I pray that you show us what it really means to live a blessed life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.